Alright. Brother's in deep shit. He's down, he's bleeding, and you gotta get there. But there's lights, right? All over the city, red lights. You go through the red lights. Sure, you fire up the roof, you wail, you go through the red lights, but that's slow. Freddy fighting your way through traffic. The goal is perpetual motion. You move diagonal. You turn the wheel when you hit a red light. But you don't drive down Broadway to get to Broadway. But how does this apply to what you were saying? In it life? applies, Freddy! It's just as easy to tell a man walking in front of him. Now, you butt heads with these friends of ours, you're gonna come at them head on? Okay. They got lives, Freddy. Families. No. You move diagonal. You jag. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. I'm a little nasally today. Apologies. You're all blocked up. Mm. You look like the before. You look like the first 10 seconds of a cold and flu medicine ad. <laughs> yeah, because there was like a bluish film on my... <laughs> yeah. The light is hitting a certain way. It, it, there's a hue. There's a hue there, isn't there? Wow. 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 Very astute. And you're wearing a beanie. Yeah, I got Cardi on. <laughs> you got a Cardi on. I just don't think I'm going to be able to make it to the fair. Don't worry, Rhonda. Take some speed. Codrill will do something. Hey, he's got Codrill. I'm holding up Codrill. Look at that branded content. Yeah. Codrill are not paying us, um, but we will accept their money if retroactively they decide this was a great ad for them. Codrill cold and flu tablets use only as directed. Yeah, if it makes them a billion dollars. I feel like <laughs> Johnson and Johnson. You feel like $80? Yeah, I feel like Johnson and Johnson wouldn't do that. I'm I am so covid free now. Last week I was last week I was technically covid free, but I was a little still a little bit. Yeah. You know, going back to editing, I was like, oh god, what I could tell that I couldn't quite articulate what I was trying to say on a couple of points. You mainly the jokes, a couple of jokes. Oh yeah. And I was like <sighs> Didn't quite land a joke there, mate. Really? But, I thought you, you were know. funny. I, there was one joke I'm, <clears throat> I heard in the um, in the re-listen that I missed in the pod. Sometimes that happens. We miss we miss a joke or two. Uh, that, mate, that happens in the edit all the time, and it's easier now that we're doing this over Teams because if I miss it when we're talking. I can give it the space it deserves in the edit because you can't hear my like when we're in the room together. You have to you kind of stuck with it uh, because where you can hear each other's voices on both mics. But the beauty of a global pod as as such as this is that it can all be fixed in post. Ah, uh, editing. Yeah, it's like we're podcasting in front of a green screen the whole time, and we can just pull these things apart and put them back together, like Lego. Yeah, it's very astute on your part. Or, you know, like Copland. Mm, astute. I did a real Greg way there. That was a Greg way if I've ever yeah. heard one. <laughs> 1997, Copland came out. Now, why are we doing Copland this week, Tristan? A few reasons. I've wanted to do Copland for a long time. That's one reason. That's one reason. Like I've been itching. And then I always forget. It's like when you go to karaoke and you're like, fuck, there's a song I wanted to do and I can't remember what it is. Every time we're picking a movie... I never remember. I want to do Copland, and then someone mentioned it, and of course, R.I.P. the The main trigger, 
this time around was the loss of uh, the great man, Ray Liotta. Old. Liotta. Old funny laugh. What a shame. Yeah, he does. his smile, his mouth gets smaller when he smiles. Does it? I don't know how he does that. It's the, one of the great, the best smile, especially when it's used creepily. Have you have you seen him in Hannibal? Probably. There's a part where Hannibal Lecter's feeding him his own brain. I don't remember and this. And he's like smiling and he's like. That smells great. <laughs> yes. I would really like some water. It is good. <laughs> it's the creepiest scene. I need to watch this. Because his smile's so weird. Ah, he's great. He's great. Obviously, we've covered him before on uh, Goodfellas, but not since. So we're overdue anyway. Yeah. But what better time to pay some homage yeah. to the great, the great actor? Indeed. Indeed. 97. 97. Big year, right? Big year for Ray. Big year for – so, you know, something we haven't talked a lot about in terms of our member berries and something that is eh, – the, the, the trend wheel keeps on toying uh, Beverage Beverages, Tristan. Oh, yeah. Specifically alcoholic beverages, a, a topic close to our hearts. I just, I just chowed down – no, chowed down. Slid down. I don't know. I drank a margarita just now. You did? We ducked out to the bar real quick. Oh, I love it. Across the street. Post-work pre-pod bevy. It's a narrow window. Good form. Did you know the margarita was very popular in 1983? Was it? That was the year. Yeah, early 80s apparently margies were quite big. Interesting. As a good example of cyclical beverages, what do you think was big in 97? 97. Um, I believe 90, in 97 it was all about Southern Comfort in the park. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Actually, that was probably too early for me for that. But, oh, maybe. Pushing it. Pretty early. Some tween, pretty early. tween age alcoholism. You know, tween, tween age alcoholism when you can just like pour a glass of vodka and drink it. It's like your, your body doesn't know how fucked up that is yet. Did you ever do that? Uh, yeah. First time I ever drank alcohol, my, my sister had friends over. She was 18. And then they went out and they left this bottle of vodka there. I must have been 15 maybe. <laughs> so I just poured a glass <laughs> and I just drank it. I was like, oh, that tastes so gross. But then I just drank it. And um, the next morning I woke up like nothing had happened. And I got up from my bed and I had a little TV in my bedroom and it was had been pushed all the way to the side, almost off the shelf. And I thought, huh, it's a bit weird. <laughs> then I went to the bathroom <laughs> and the sink was full of um, half-digested ravioli. Uh, I thought, that's weird. And then it all came flooding back and I was like, what? <laughs> it was like, the yeah, the first time I'd ever, I think I maybe had a beer or something here and there or a sip of, you yeah. know, little bits here and there. It was your first time. But um, that was the first time I'd like really drunk. Were you by yourself? And, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, oh, I'll just drink. Like it's there. Like I'll a, just. I was chatting to. This, like a to okay, this like is the most toddler. hilarious part. This is the funniest part. I was chatting to a friend on ICQ, uh-oh, uh-oh. and um, he was also drinking somehow. So we were uh, maybe a similar scenario, and so we were both like, I think he was drinking wine or something. This is all flooding back now, and um, I went back to look at the chat history. And it just trailed into nonsense. <laughs> like there were, it was just like a sea of letters that didn't mean anything. So it was so fascinating. And it was also my first hangover. So like I had to learn how to 
you know, the false confidence of when you first wake up and you're really hungry or, or thirsty and I ate lots of food and then I felt that I needed to vomit again. <laughs> and it was a classic like mother-son moment where I was so sick, I didn't even really get in trouble. She was like, I think you've been through enough. <laughs> yeah. It was it was quite a wild ride, man. That's hectic. Sorry, I completely hijacked your member berry. That's, that's, a, a, that's a member that's berry. That's a member berry sure. and a half. Fuck, that was probably like 98 or something. It's not far off this year. Yeah, well, you know, maybe you were better off if you had a delicious Cosmopolitan. Mm. The Cosmo was a big drink in 97, Tristan, and it's interesting how drinks mm. become in and out of fashion because I couldn't stand a Cosmo right now, but maybe I could have in 97. But also we were idiots in 97. Like, well, I mean, the previous anecdote just proves it. <laughs> big time. Big time. Don't even get me started on like vodka cruises and shit, the type of thing we were drinking like, oh man, you know, later teens. Big time. Blah. So the Cosmo uh, originally predates World War II, Tristan. Whoa. Yeah, that's right. World War II. Uh, it was originally called the Vodka Gimlet. Gimlet was made because you needed to add something to to vodka or gin because it was really poor quality. So um, in went some uh, Contro or Triple Sec. Interesting. Hang on, Greg. Now I've seen Gimlets on menus. Is this a is this a is this a exercise in rebranding? Perhaps Could be. if I see a Gimlet, am I really seeing a Cosmo? Well, I think a Gimlet or Gimlet Gimlet is like a broader term. Encompassing, uh, okay. I, I think so, um, but it's a good question. Mm. Uh, and then, so there was yeah, there's a drink prior called the Kamikaze, which was vodka, triple sec, and lime juice. And then in the eighties, they added cranberry <laughs> juice. <laughs> what? <laughs> Make it a little neon. Yeah, some guy in uh, San Fran. Oh yeah, uh, quite popular with the gay community prior to its um, full scale launch. Uh, which came ah, in... Uh, hence the Sex and the City gang culturally appropriating Correct, it. Tristan, that is correct. <laughs> it's very astute on your part. It's very astute on your part. Thank you. I got a couple of clips from the old... Uh, have you got those clips there? I do. There's a couple of clips of the gals drinking it. So I get uh, friends of the show. Uh, Greg sent me some Sex and the City clips earlier today and I didn't know what was going on. Didn't didn't join the dots. <laughs> While Samantha had little belief in the idea of happily ever after, she had a very strong belief in the idea of a smart cocktail at the end of the workday. Oh, there she is. Look at this Samantha, a cosmopolitan, and Donald Trump. You just don't get more New York than that. Listen, man. I've got to go. Yeah, good. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. I'll be at my office at Trump Town. Good. I'll be at my office at Trump Town. Excuse me. I was so distracted by your beauty. I- I think I just agreed to finance Mr. Trump's new project. That's how stupid I am. You owe me $150 million. Will you take a check? Can I buy you a drink? I already have one. Thanks. Can I buy you an island? Greg, I've been living in New York for three months now and that's never happened to me. Not once? No one's offered to buy me an island. Do you I haven't know seen why? Trump nowhere, but I also haven't been ordering a Cosmo. You haven't been ordering a Cosmo. So you go get that gimlet Keep and going. you get that island. It's very astute on your part. So I just need to sit up at the bar, order a Cosmo, show a little leg. Yep. And, you know, actually I was thinking about Sex and the City today because it was on a headline somewhere and it is for sure one of those shows where I thought they were so old when that show started. Yeah. yeah. Probably 10 years younger than us. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. scary. Anyway, side note. 
But a lot outdated about that clip, wouldn't you say? Oh, just a bit. <laughs> it is interesting how they come in out of fashion. Like the Margies were popular in the 80s, apparently mid-80s wine coolers, like which is effectively spritzers. Yeah, because those have come back. They're back. And it is interesting because technically it has a flavour and it, it is a functional thing. How can something go in and out of style when it is a, an actual flavour, right? But it just goes to show you the alcohol category, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just what the drink tastes like, right? Oh, yeah. Who's drinking it? Where are they drinking it? How are they drinking it? Yeah. I.e., is it a shoe? <laughs> now, boozy milkshakes were big in the 90s, apparently, early 90s. Fucking gross, man. But I don't know how that would come back anytime soon. I just couldn't, like, you know what I mean? I couldn't do it. When, when we first turned 18, there were like quick fucks. That was like a big thing. And cowboys, cocksucking oh, cowboys. Yeah. Oh. They were the easy drinks, the easy shots that people would order. I can't stand a man. Dairy and alcohol, man, fuck uh, off. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. Keep going. Anyway, there you have it. A little a little tipple down memory lane. And what a tipple. Man, big year for Cosmos 97, they say. Mm-hmm. Big year for movies too. A Titanic year for movies, that many have said. Ah. Oh. In, in poorly punned headlines, I assume, because the biggest film of, in, the, in the world in 97 was Titanic. Uh, second biggest, The Lost World. Um, there's a few little gems here that, well, maybe not gems, but things that I'm keen to watch just uh, because they suit the pod. Liar, Liar, As Good As It Gets. As Good As It Gets was a real it movie that I would argue might be a bit shit now. Yeah. Fifth Element we've done. Full Monty, a similar one, a real a real thing at the time. But is it any good? Wasn't it? Only there was a podcast for that. Spawn we've covered. I know what you did last summer we've covered. Um, many movies, many things. Batman and Robin this year. Uh, what a year. But there was a little film about a, a small land that came in at number 44 that year. A little film called Copland. Calling it Copeland. Man, Google keeps telling me I'm trying to search Copeland. Goddamn Aaron I'm Copeland. Surely not. <laughs> fuck off. Get the fuck out of here. All right, you made some music <laughs> once upon a time. Big deal. <laughs> ah. Well, Copeland, not Copeland, came out in August of 1997 with a, with a modest budget, especially considering the cast, wouldn't you say, at $15 million with a gross box office of 63.7 mil. So while it was down in the 40s, you know, that's a pretty good ROI. Maybe not exactly what they hoped for. We'll get into maybe why, some reasons why. But um, critically, quite well received, although not quite as high as I was expecting. Critic score of 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, audience score of 67%. Critic consensus as follows. Copland matches its star-studded cast with richly imagined characters while throttling the audience with carefully ratcheted suspense. Although it lacks the moral complexity of classic crime thrillers. I take issue with that very last part. 
this is very complex. There's more complexity everywhere. Uh, it's abundantly complex. That could be the log. Li- that could be on the poster. Copland, moral complexity. Mm. <laughs> mm. Moral complexity awaits. It's mm. the whole point. <sighs> anyway, was this a big movie for you, Greg? Uh, no, it was not. Hadn't seen this film. I, I remember wanting to see it. I remember. I remember seeing trailers for it. Um, you know, before it came out. Um, yeah. And thinking, oh yeah, I'll, I'll see that film. Look at all those actors that act. Yeah. Um, and I remember being excited by it, and then maybe potentially the times I tried to rent it, whoever I was renting with on that occasion wasn't up for it or something. But it came yeah. and went, and yeah. it never. It was never big on the TV rotation. Um, yeah. It never featured on as like the movies on you know in the early. Versions of pay TV where you'd get you know three movies looped, never there. Yeah. So it's just never presented itself to me. The universe has not provided me Copland. <laughs> All week I've been fighting the urge to ask you because I just I'm dying to find out what you thought of it, but I'm not going to ask you yet. But I had the exact opposite experience in a lot of ways. So I remember seeing the trailer and thinking that looks fucking stupid, and maybe it was the name too because I. I had a similar thing with Fight Club. I thought Fight Club looked so stupid. You know, like the old two-name movies, the old Fight Club, the old Cop the old Land. Cop I don't know. Land. I don't know. Someone who is um, more um, astute in the in the in the English language could maybe articulate what it is about those names that sound shit. But to me, it's just like it's Fight Club. It's about a fight club. Cop Land. It's about a land of cops. Like it just sounds dumb to me. <laughs> And I think we'll get into it, but I think one of the things that impacted me was probably what impacted a lot of people was that like it was kind of in this in-between zone of like it's a Stallone movie or it's like what is this thing? And that's kind of where it sat for me for a while. And I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I it was a long time ago now, um, probably early 2000s, and I was just like what the fuck is this thing? This is fucking awesome. Mm. But I think I only watched it that one time. And um, I just remember loving it and then just never got back around to it again. Like like you said, it's just never on rotation. Like this thing is pretty invisible. But as many friends of the show um, proved out, like it's a very beloved film. Like it's one of those ones everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people like Copland, underrated. Copland, one of Stallone's best performances. Copland, yeah. what a cast. Copland. Oh, what, a dir- what, a, what a composer. Yeah, yeah, true, um, true. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting one. Mm. It's an interesting one. Should I get into the origin story, Greg? Yeah, this is a pretty good one, isn't it? Origin story. So this is written and directed by James Mangold. Something I wasn't aware of until watching it this time around. Who Wait, I said directed by? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because he's he's someone that's he's been slightly off my radar. I know of him primarily because of the Wolverine movies, and so I know one of those was good, and so I knew he was you know, not a bad director necessarily. But I didn't know he had as many gems, and I didn't know yeah. he directed this beloved Neither. film of mine. And this was this wasn't his first film, but he wrote this script and sold this script before directing his first film. So like all the all the cast he got, all, all the support he got for this film was off the back of nothing. 
at that point. Um, but let me rewind a little. So Up and Coming Guy, this ended up being his second movie. So by the time this got made and in theatres, he did have another movie that got finished called Heavy, which became a bit of an indie darling, very well received, 86% on Run Tomatoes, critic score. Um, and it won him Best Director at Sundance. Oh, that helps with the career. That helps, that helps. Yeah, and then as we mentioned, like this guy is this is hey this is this is a guy man. He made Girl Interrupted, Walk the Line, Three Ten to Yuma, The Wolverine, and more importantly, Logan, Ford v Ferrari, Ford v Ferrari. And he's actually in the process of making the fifth Indiana Jones film. Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Land of Cops, perhaps Jonesland. There is actually a book called Jonesland that's. Um about the power and influence of Alan Jones. Did you know that? Really? I'm pretty sure it's called Jones Land. That's interesting. That, that's quite meta. Hang on, let me double check. Jonestown. It's called Jonestown. Oh, wasn't there a Jonestown massacre or something? Wasn't that whole thing? Uh, maybe. Well. Anyway, <laughs> I, I digress slightly. <laughs> okay, so speaking of towns. The town in this film, the town of Garrison, is based on based on Mangold's hometown of Washingtonville. Mm. Sounds made up also. Washingtonville, <laughs> New York. Um, <laughs> within that town, there was a little development called Workley Heights where a lot of current and former New York cops lived. Uh-huh. So I say this because years later, He's he's getting into film. He wants to make films, and he 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 wants to make a western. And he's like, "Fuck, how am I going to make a western?" And then he reflected on his childhood and thought of this town and thought about the similarities between sort of this cop town he lived in and how you could potentially transpose a a a, a classic western story or, or or construct onto that small town. Mm. I got a little clip mm. of him talking about mm. that. I had this idea in my head that I wanted to make a western. And yet I didn't feel like I was really capable in some ways of writing a, a period Western, you know, a Montana, Texas Western. So I thought about things I knew and how places I knew and people I knew would somehow work in that kind of structure. And what occurred to me is that I grew up in a town that was essentially kind of a modern frontier town where a lot of kind of white flight from New York City from the 70s had settled with their families. and was very much a kind of outpost of people who absolutely detested New York City and had somehow built their first kind of homestead away from this place of mayhem and decline and ugliness and violence. And somehow it struck me that this place, if you looked at it the right way, it had this very Western vibe. It had this kind of, everyone was very capable of defending themselves. Everyone was, you know, all the cops were packing weapons. They had a lot of anger about what it is they had escaped and how they were trying to start something new and something fresh and clean of kind of the dirtiness and chaos of the city. In thinking about it as a Western, what I was concerned with is that the movie not just be this real-life cop movie. It isn't. It's a fable. And in a sense, Westerns are fables. They are real constructions. You know, the Native American reservation is here, the Wild West town where lawlessness is here, the frontier, the, the homesteaders trying to build a beautiful place is here. Nothing was ever really that simple or clean in the real West. And in a sense, nothing is that simple or clean in the real world of cops and 
politics in the tri-state area of New York. He's an astute man. He is. He's young. He, he touched on something there that I guess it's obviously there in the film, but not something I thought that much about. But it really is the crux of the whole thing, which is like he really talks. I've read some other interviews with him and he talks a lot about how the thing is when you live in one town, like as a cop, as you know, you're there to protect a community. But if the community you're protecting is not the community you live in, uh-huh. there's a huge, there becomes like this huge disconnect. It almost dehumanizes the humans in the place yeah. you work. And that's, that's the hell you visit daily. And then you come back to your nice place. Like, it's a really interesting thing that I hadn't really considered and something that I don't think a lot of people thought about because when he went around pitching this thing, a lot of the feedback he was getting was like, well, but that's not a, that's not a thing. And he's like, no, it fucking is. <laughs> yeah. Obviously to his point, he, 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 you know, 10 X it into something that's not a hundred percent realistic, but a fable, but he grew up in a town that wasn't that dissimilar. Um, so yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Mm. So I guess fast forward to the nineties. Mangold's living in New York, and he he's commuting back home, and he kind of sees these two worlds and and the gap in between. And um, inspiration strikes, and he and he writes this script. And as I said, he pitches it around town, hits some roadblocks, and it's just so fascinating, especially I guess in a 2020, 2022 lens, and. Uh, you know, conversations of police and culture and that kind of thing. What was interesting back then was one example he gave in an interview I read was he pitched it to 20th Century Fox. He said, I remember the president of Fox interrupted me as I was giving the climax of the movie and goes, wait a second, does this deaf sheriff kill all of the cops in your story? And I go, yeah. And he goes, he kills all of them? And I go, yeah, he has to. There's no surviving if he doesn't. He goes, well, we can't do that. They never heard the end of the pitch, and it just ended right then. So it's it's almost like no, you can't you can't cops can't be the baddies, <laughs> you know. It was yeah. interesting. Not that there's never been movies where cops are bad guys, but I guess it doesn't sound that far fetched now for for 20th Century Fox to be so dismissive. Then is kind of crazy. Yeah, and he couldn't get many eyes on it overall, and he he submitted it to Sundance Labs. What's that? So there's a Sundance Film Festival. I don't know specifically much about Sundance Labs. I feel like we should. I assume it's like the Young Lions of the Sundance <laughs> Film Festival. <I> think so. <laughs> and and he got in and it won whatever the fuck. And so all eyes were now on this script. Miramax, fucking Weinstein's, eventually made the deal. And got he had their he grubby had a, paws on it. <laughs> he got their real. Yeah, I want some of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, they they agreed to his terms, which was. You buy in the script, but I have to be a director, and you can't. You have to. I have to be the director, and you can't fire me. And so they were the only ones I think that agreed to that. So they got it. But even them, and this was late. Like it, this is in post production. They're like, wait, uh, cops living outside of the community they protect. That's not a thing. And it's like it's fucking a thing, man. But anyway, they made him put in that that opening with the VO from De Niro ex- explaining that that is a thing. Back in the seventies. Every cop wanted out of the city. But the only cops allowed to live outside New York were transit cops because the transit authority was also run by Jersey and Connecticut. So these guys I knew at the 3-7, they started pulling overtime at subway stations and got the city to declare them auxiliary transit cops. 
They bought some land in Jersey, got some cheap loans from people they knew. They made themselves a place where the shit couldn't touch them. Apparently there were a whole lot of other changes too that they forced um, because this thing wasn't testing great. Mm. I think what the way Mangold talks about it is I think what my experience with the trailer was, which was it was sort of caught between these two worlds where Stallone fans would watch this thing expecting a traditional Stallone film and it wasn't that. And then more cynical folk who like, you know, better films <laughs> think this is just, you know, Stallone's trying to get an Oscar or something. You know, there's just like, meh, there's, it's kind of in this weird place. So cynical. Yeah, right, jerks. What a bunch of jerks. But because um, he, he actually, speaking of casting, he was imagining more of a nobody as the sheriff. Yeah. And not that he didn't like Stallone in it, but he was a little worried that it kind of, yeah, I don't know, it's a little on the nose with the, the third act. But because it won this thing, because the Weinsteins got involved, the cast just got fucking stacked. And um, what did he say? He said it, it had gotten cast so aggressively that, that it now needed to perform in a way that justified its cast. So it, it, it just upped the pressure. So every yeah. what started as this like first time film, uh, first film, small town, <laughs> like, and now it's turned into this huge fucking thing. But, you know, they made some edits. He compromised a little bit. I think there's a director's cut. I don't know how different it is because I think it wasn't just in post that they changed things. I think, I think they changed things up front so it's not like there's footage lying around that he can stitch back in. But uh, bish bash bosh. You got yourself a Copland rap party at the Four Aces. Oh, yeah. With Deborah Harry working the bar. We created a place without fear. Something like that. With no fixed positions. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the wrong movie. The doctor said no more fighting. <laughs> doctor said no more cops too. <clears throat> Should we play the trailer? Let's do it. In the city of New York, a crime is committed every eight seconds. But just across the river lies a quiet town called Garrison, New Jersey, where New York's finest return home. The hero cop, unwilling to trust the system, jumps from the George Washington Bridge. Today, he is laid to rest here in the cemetery at Garrison, New Jersey. It's what brings you to fair city. I heard it was a way of life out here. Thought I'd check it out for myself. Where are we, uh, like the Amish now? It's a place where the sheriff wears the badge, but the cops own the town. My jurisdiction ends at the George Washington Bridge, but half the men I watch live beyond that bridge where no one's watching. I'm watching. Thank you, the sheriff of Copland. He always dreamed of becoming one of them. I'd like you to meet Sheriff Freddie Heffler. Freddie's a hell of a guy. Well, you should call me. But now he has uncovered something that could force him to choose between protecting his idols and upholding the law. Bandage isn't dead, you know it and I know it. Do you have any idea how connected he is? It's over. The case is closed. You butthead with these friends of ours? You're gonna come at them head on? I offered you a chance to be a cop and you blew it! Being right is not a bulletproof vest, Freddy! What are you gonna do, Sheriff? You gonna arrest the whole town? Everybody's watching you, Freddy. Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, and Robert De Niro. Oh, that is all coming together. Copland. Only four of them. Copland. 
Fuck, I want to watch the movie again. Good trailer. Uh, Fontaine, LaFontaine did a pretty good job there, didn't he? One of his best. One of his best, but I think we need to go a few levels deeper, Greg. Can you uh, can you break it down for us? Okay, so uh, this is many stories, Tristan. Uh, I'll try and take it from the beginning. It's... Okay, so we've got this drunk, stupid cop in the city. Uh, he's driving home drunk. Gets in a little fender bender with a car, a couple of young African-American males. Uh, they pull what he thinks is a gun on them. Then he starts blasting them. Kills them. It's a big... They crash. It's a bit, It's on a bridge. It's a big thing. There's a lot of police. There's, there's other first responders there. There's ambos, etc., one of the cops there is his cr- seemingly crooked uncle and T-1000. And uh, <laughs> and they're like planning it. Like, there's, there's no gun. He's like, no, they pulled a gun on me. And, he, and he's like, no, it was, the, it, was the, it was the steering wheel lock. You know, the, the old steering wheel lock. Mm. From there, all hell breaks loose. Someone sees one of these cops trying to plant, one of the ambos sees that he's trying to plant a gun. Yo, 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 yo. What the fuck are you doing, man? I found a piece. Found a piece. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that wasn't in there. What do you mean it wasn't in there? There's underneath the floor, man. Bullshit, man. You can't do that. Shut the fuck up. Do what? It was underneath the fucking floor, man. And then it all goes crazy. And they're like, oh, he's jumped off the bridge. He's killed himself. Superboy, the young cop. Michael Rappaport. It's Michael Rappaport. Didn't mention that. Mm. Okay, Remy. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a big thing. But then we realise that he hasn't even killed him. He's just got in the back of with the guys and he's driven off. They faked his death, Tristan. He jumped! So anyway, from there we go to this little town just outside the city called Garrison. And we meet uh, Sheriff Freddie Heflin. Now, he's a pretty sort of... Uh, Bit of a slow sort of chap. He's like some pinball, drinking some brewskis there. Hey, Figsy, you got any quarters? And we learned that this little town is where all the cops live. Mm. They go off into the city to do their work, and they're pretty crooked. So they've kidnapped this kid, not kidnapped, they've faked this kid's death, and then they're hiding him, but not very well. He's like having parties and stuff. It's, it's very strange. And then you've got uh, Robert De Niro. He's in this. He comes... And he's like an internal affairs guy. He's coming to check things out. Mm, and he's got a moustache. He's got a moustache. He's on his way to do that other movie. Uh, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Like he probably was. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you got him in there. And then there's all these other stories happening, Tristan, all in Copland. Mm, Garrison. Garrison. And they're all happening at the same time. People are having sex with each other's wives. Uh, a lot of that as well and in the end Stallone just wants to clean up the town look around I don't like what I see anymore and that's pretty much all I can tell you about this movie oh really was it was it too much of a uh, too much going on uh, are we getting into the rewatch we may as well well yeah that was that was my seamless segue yeah it was good it was seamless no, I did. I liked it. I liked it, but there was a lot going on. Yeah, I did like it, but there was a lot going on. What was your viewing 
setup? Was this over a few nights? Was this? Uh... No, I watched it in one sitting. I smashed through. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because this probably this out of a few that we've done recently, this one definitely requires like full immersion. I think I was immersed. What going emerged. on? Yeah, I emerged. <laughs> immersed. I was into it, man. I mean, I, look, I, I like yeah. this movie. I'll say that off the bat. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll go into the reasons why through this pod. That's what we do, but I, I, I would acknowledge at the top that I was a bit like, Phew, maybe they could have just made this like a three and a half hour movie. I would like, I would have been open to that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I would be open to it being longer for sure. I felt confused at times, but almost in a way that I liked. Okay, I, a bit like watch, when you're watching The Wire and you don't, you know, the first few episodes of The Wire, you don't. You don't totally understand what's happening, but it's you just got to let it wash over you a it's, bit. I don't know you. You wanna, you wanna. You're like, oh, I want to figure this out. Wait, what? Like, not everything's overexplained. And I was also thinking, like, well, hey, before I get into that, I enjoyed this so much, like a lot. And I probably had the benefit of, even though I probably haven't watched it for twenty years, the benefit of at least watching it once had a, I guess, at least a foundation <laughs> that you know. I could fill in more gaps this time because, to be honest, even in watching this, some of my first notes as I look back, some of my first notes was like, wait, how does this work? They're cops, but he's the sheriff. I didn't totally get that they didn't work where they lived at first. That took mm. me a while. But um, I just fucking, I don't know how to, almost everything about this movie I just fucking loved. I love that it was, like I do feel like if this was made today, this would be, this plot this would be a TV show and this plot will be spread across at least one season, maybe two, ten episodes per season. Mm. They crammed so much into this thing, which I know we'll get into it, which I know is some of the criticisms of this film, but it's actually what I really loved about it. It was so rich. This was you like, like a, a real world. Yeah, well, it just felt fully realised. Like these are real characters. This is a real town. This is real people. Okay. You're entering this world and there's all these things happening and you're only seeing a little bit of it and so it's some of the some of the tangents can be a little confusing but that's fucking life baby um and fucking Stallone man fucking hell (laughs) um apparently he put on forty pounds but like yeah eating pancakes yeah he had a he posted that today right the pancakes there but I don't know forty pounds he I. I remember him being like fat in this movie, and I look at him here, and I think he probably still had a four pack. Like adding forty yeah, I think pounds, he just buff. Yeah, adding forty pounds when you're like two hundred and ten pounds and five percent body fat, he probably yeah, exactly just filled in the gaps a little bit. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't anything crazy. Um, yeah, but I, but I was so judgy when I was younger. I thought, oh, what a what a fat fuck, <laughs> because. <laughs> Now you're like, because oh, I was, I'd you know, to look like Stallone. Because I had a metabolism then, yeah. And now, yeah, now he's. That's I'll be happy with that, man. Um, but I do have a clip of him talking about um, the weight gain. So much has been made about you fattening up for this movie. I know we met in Nashville about a year ago while you were making Copland, and you were frankly depressed about the weight. <laughs> yes, I was. I hadn't come to terms with it, and that was totally wrong. And I had. You know, I was still holding on to a kind of um, ingrained vanity that had acquired, I had acquired over the years. It wasn't until finally I said, this is me and I feel comfortable and I can go out in a tank top looking, you know, like one of my relatives. 
I uh, I finally had come to full circle, but it took a while. You know, Jimmy, I never felt actually better than when doing that. We I all know how you got fat, okay? But how do you get unfat? And you're back to your fighting weight now, aren't you? Pretty much so, yes. Uh, there is no real... Mine is just pain. It w I would eat one protein meal in the morning. I'd have a cup of oatmeal and, let's say, three or four or five soft-boiled eggs without the yolks, and then two of these protein shakes that are maybe 225 calories during the day. Yeah. And that's it. Ew, that sounds nasty. I, I know. I'm sorry. Nasty. It, it is, it's gnarly. No doubt about it. Damn. I need to go on that fucking nutrition right now, man. No, I just I'm so what? off the wagon. You know, uh, friends of the show, Alice and Davis, they both had COVID too. And then me and Ara got COVID. And they're like, don't worry, now you've got like antibodies for summer. And I said, yeah, but I've got an anti-summer body. Hey. There you go. There it is. Um, so I need to just have like 50,000 egg yolks and two no, shakes per day. That's all I can yolks. eat. Oh, no, not the yolks. This is my problem. This is Greg. where you're at. <laughs> I need like 10 Snickers and pancakes. <laughs> oh, my gosh, darn idiot. i got to stop eating fried chicken thighs and start <laughs> eating fried chicken wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Man. For the type of podcast we are, we definitely under-index on Stallone films. And every time we do one and I dig for these interviews, I fall in love with him again every fucking time. It's very witty. He's great. And later on in that interview, I don't know, they talk about something. You know, he's very self-deprecating in how he's not good looking or whatever. And he said, you know, when God was designing me, the doorbell rang and the and the clay fell off the table. <laughs> he's got, I've heard him say Something to the same effect, 10 different ways in 10 different interviews. It's so fucking funny, man. Um, and I had a similar thing with Ray Liotta. When I was young, I only knew him from Goodfellas and I thought, oh, this guy's fucking let himself go. Like he was so sharp in Goodfellas, obviously, except for towards the end. But um, I thought, man, this guy was like a handsome, well-kept man and he looks like a fucking slob. I mean, this was I was young and, you know, Probably didn't get my head around acting. <laughs> yeah. But now in this, I'm also like, it doesn't look that bad. <laughs> now that I watch it now. Yeah, he just looks like he's had a few late nights. He just wears really comfy, baggy clothes, which I'm into, man. I like, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> he's having a good time around Copland, isn't he? Well, he's not really. Yeah, he's, well, except for a couple of details. Um, <laughs> and the, the whole cast, man, the cast is fucking stacked. The only thing this cast was missing was... So William Fickner. Ooh. He's a Copland person if ever I if ever there was one. Oh, you reckon? I could have seen him as like the sidekick internal affairs guy. Yeah, or any of the he could play any of the characters. Any of them. Such is the power of the Fick. Fick's got it all. Man, this cast. So I've just pulled up on screen, hence the non-audible segue here. But man, this cast is so stacked. I forgot how stacked. I obviously remembered like the headliners, but can we talk about some of the, like, we got Peter Berg, Robert Patrick, Kathy Moriarty, Janine Garofalo, Michael Rappaport, you mentioned, Noah Emmerich, the, um, Frank Vincent. Who I know as the, who's Frank Vincent? Oh, Frank Vincent, yeah. And it's half the cast of fucking, like, Goodfellas and Raging Bull and half the cast of Sopranos. Now, shine my shoes. I don't remember Deborah Harry being there, but there you yeah, go. Yeah, apparently she was the bar. Bar chick at the Aces, which I don't remember either. I totally missed that. 
Totally missed it. A lot of these guys look the same. John Robert Burke and Paul Herman. Have you ever <laughs> seen them? Oh, look, the the restaurateur from Sopranos. Yeah, exactly. Method Man. Who's that chick? Who's Alexandra out? Who's she? <laughs> That's the little girl. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember her. Hello. I didn't remember her either, but she Ooh, was the she daughter got, of Annabella Sciorra, who was the, the love interest. Yeah. She was, uh, I don't want to go into it because I don't want her to be defined by this, but she she was a, you know, a victim. She helped bring down Weinstein. So let's yeah. let's talk about she it. Was, let's put it in that context. Yeah. Like she brought him down. She was witness A, wasn't she? She was instrumental. She Primary witness or whatever you say? When the first article came out, she initially didn't want to take part. And then once the article came out, she called the author and said, I'm sorry, I said no, I don't know what happened, I panicked, that was the call I've been waiting for my whole life and I don't know what I did. And then she she went all in and she fucking helped out. But she she was also on Sopranos, she was one of Tony's, uh, what do they call them, Goomas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think she was like kind of psycho. I think she won an Emmy for that. Like she's, she did. She's, she's pretty old time, man. She was amazing in that. Yeah. Speaking of Sopranos, Eddie Falco's in there. Man, fucking everyone. Method Man. Method man. Why not? And De Niro's role is so small. Like it's just Garofalo, man. And not in a pretentious way. Like I think sometimes you get these, you know, like David O. Russell films where everyone's fucking in like Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And I don't know. It feels there's something like meh. Oh, Ocean's Eleven, you know, like meh. Mm, uh, something oh, cringe like, about it. Yeah. That new, what's that, the one with the um, with the cast, where the, the new one about global warming. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, exactly. You're all in it, yeah. Adam McKay movies. There's something cringe about it, right? Whereas this one feels more, and also, also they're already big time directors, whereas this one feels more like they're rallying around this fucking up and comer because they like, they genuinely like the material. They're all getting paid peanuts. The whole budget was $15 million. Like, fuck yeah, man. I love it. They're all yeah. They're all for the man gold. Yeah, and that fucking thing in the in the uh, critic consensus say, although it lacks the moral complexity of classic crime thrillers, I call it bullshit on that because one of the things I loved about this was all the a the complexity, literally yeah. right, complexity, and all the grey areas within it. Like sometimes these movies they have cartoonish bad guys, and in this, arguably they're all bad guys just to varying degrees. Like so, someone is a good guy only by comparison to the. Worst guy next to them, which is the style now, isn't it? Kinda, yeah. You know these uh, morally ambiguous leads, the antiheroes, the, you know, yeah. Ozarks or Barry or pretty much Breaking insert, Bad. Breaking Bad. They're all you've got to kind of they leave you the audience to decide where you land with these characters. Yeah, exactly. And then relative to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Best case scenario in this movie, you're Stallone and you're just a fucking lazy fuck. <laughs> and then there's jerks, then there's then there's dirtbags, and then there's just evil bastards. Mm. There's all these different characters that all occupy different spaces within that, and it's fucking beautiful. I don't know how how do you feel about all these things I'm laying down? Are you? Uh, uh, I don't sternly disagree. I I did feel mm. it was a a little. I did. I feel like it was too convoluted for me. Yeah. But I liked it enough to not say, no, it was just too convoluted, full stop, shit movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, the truth lies somewhere in between. I certainly appreciate what you're saying. 
I still would have liked, I don't know, maybe just a bit longer or even pairing back some of the plot lines. So I like yeah, I like all the things you've said, but I reckon maybe you can just take out the whole Superboy killing, um, <laughs> take out Michael Rappaport. <laughs> so it's interesting you say this because uh, Roger Ebert didn't like this movie. He gave it two stars. I was really curious what critics at the time thought because Front Tomatoes, a lot of the critics they have on there, it's still it's always updated. So a lot of them yeah. are like more recent reviews and yeah. people love this movie now, but I wanted to know what people thought at the time. So I looked up Old Mate Ebert and the funniest part is based exactly on what you're saying and in the way Ebert articulates it is so fucking funny. What do you say? And you'll you'll see you'll see why. <laughs> he said the screenplay by director James Mangold has the richness and complexity of a novel, but the best movies are more like novellas. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Greg loves a novella. Stop it! The best movies are based on novellas. Oh there you my go. goodness! You know it's so funny though. I put this in because I'm like. Because I disagree with it, I'm like, let's rip on this together. But you're on, you're on his page, which is fair enough. Well, man, how could I not be? The man just said the best movies <laughs> are often novellas. <laughs> he said single-mindedness. Um, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. But I do think it's also, I don't know. Yeah, I agree because I feel like that's a pretty subjective thing. I was just, I I liked it, but I could also see why that is not necessarily, yeah. I yeah. also see your point of view. I'm like, I, I can't argue with you because I yeah. what you're saying makes sense. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was good. Those little, the little things, the little details and things. Exactly. So, so what he said, I'll read out what he said because then I have my version of it, but this, is, this works because this is pretty much what you said. And he said, so all these characters are seen in such detail that any three of them would make a story. A dozen leave us trying to remember who is who and why. The Stallone character offers the closest thing the movie has to a centre, but his sheriff, like some of the other characters, seems to have suffered in the editing. Early in the film, for example, he gets drunk and smashes up a squad car, but then his alcoholism is dropped and his sadness is established without being developed. So I think a lot of that actually may have come down to the the edits they, they made Mangold make. I blame Weinstein. Yeah, Weinstein, fuck that guy. But he goes on to say, uh, but this is what I loved about it. The characters are so strong that, yes, they could have their own movie. These are well-written, fully realised characters. You only scratch the surface of some, but that's what I love. It feels like a real town. So I agree with him on that one. That was a big one for me. And maybe it's because we have done, you know, we've gone from a Van Damme movie to Top Gun, which were pretty light plot-wise. This was like really rich and character-wise really rich. And so I was just really in the mood for it. But then he also says, yeah. and this is exactly what you just said, he also says the materials are here for a remake, two remakes, one about the disappearing rookie cop, like you said, Superboy, and the other about a town where all the police live. Like this could just be completely yeah. different movies. <laughs> yeah. And you could totally see this being a 10-episode series as well, right? Like yeah, I that like that. Whole, yeah, I like that. The whole first 10 minutes could be a whole hour, really. It's rich. It's rich. Um, it is also arguably Greg one of one of those one of those rare movies we've done, which is potentially more relevant today than it was back then. Mm. Well, actually, that's not as, it's not exactly true. It was still relevant then, but in terms of the cultural conversation, mm. so there, this movie came up again in in cultural relevance in 2020 around all the, the Black Lives Matters uh, discourse at the time. 
And um, Mangold did this whole Twitter thread and he did an interview on Vulture and a few other things talking about this movie and uh, some of the tweets. What did he say? He said, when cops don't live in the place they protect, they're not protecting their community. The people in the city are devalued. Indeed, many commuting cops worry about containing problems in the city so they don't leak to the burbs where they live. This produces sickness. Commuting cops are nine-to-five soldiers in a land that is not their own. They do not have vested interests in embracing the place they patrol. Rather, their interest is in containing it. This produces quiet, pernicious, and systemic racism. And um, there was more racial stuff in this that got edited out as well. So I feel like that was yeah. more core to the initial idea. So it's it's pretty astute. Again, it's a fable, right? It's a pretty astute representation of like a systemic issue. It's a key so, social observation. It's very astute on yeah. your part. Yeah. And like you said, no one was like, that. that's not a thing. He's like, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. Let me, let me educate you. I didn't know it was a thing. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. And like watching it, I'm like, okay, that's an interesting movie. But I didn't really think about the real world, real world implications of that. And yeah, how no. the dissociativeness of like, no, that's just where I work and I go over there and I Bust head. crack some skulls and leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up. It, it's fucked. It's fucked. Anyway. Um, but can we talk a little more about Stallone? Let's. Wait, this doesn't make things very easy for me. I mean. This is a pretty big thing you're having here. The day after, I mean, how do you think... Really, what are you talking about? This guy came to see me yesterday, this Mo Tilden from IA. He brought all these pictures and... Freddie, that guy's had a hard-on for me for years. It's a personal thing. He is a scumbag. You know how they recruited IAD? They catch you on the take, and they tell you you can either do time or join them. Well, he knows you're no superboy. I told him he's dead, Ray. I told him he's wrong about you, but I'm the sheriff. I mean, I'm supposed to know what's going on. How do you think this looks? Go on, Freddie. And don't think so much. Ray, I can't go. Freddie. Ray. Thank you. Go Go on. Go on. Did you enjoy his performance? I loved it. Man, so good, right? He was he was just like plodding along. Yeah. Taking it all in. It was restrained. Yeah, exactly. Even just in rewatch of the trailer, he didn't say that much. And he's just like they're all yelling at him. He's like, okay. Like it's But so it wasn't cardboard either. Key. You know, like sometimes when Van Damme goes quiet, it's like he's just body's just there. Yeah, it's interesting. But, <laughs> but I felt like, you know, he was he was there. You can see that it's like there's cogs turning in his brain. Yeah, the cogs like he's were turning. He was slowly coming around to cleaning up the town. And the payoff of the end, man, like it was, that was an emotional, the, the whole end, the fucking the sound at the end because he goes deaf, we essentially go deaf. Yeah. We can just hear muffled bagpipes, which we now have learned in this movie means death because that's what they play at the funerals. Oh, You hear the heartbeat. I, I miss that. That's that's a clever review. You hear the heartbeat that stops when Kaitel dies. Like, it's fucking oh, intense, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he, when he takes Superboy to De Niro and he just doesn't want to give him up and they're like, it's okay, it's okay. He just looks like a tortured puppy, mm. man. Mm. It's um, Well, he just took a 12-gauge to half his best friends. Yeah, yeah, fuck. A vulnerable Stallone is 
is a good Stallone man. Oh yeah, yeah. First Blood, Rocky. Rocky. It's when he becomes superhuman that it all falls off. Judge Dredd. And it's interesting. I found a clip of him talking about this a little bit, and it's it's a little bit heartbreaking because he talks about this in another episode we did on um, Titty Hanger Cliffhanger. Yeah, on Titty Hanger, he talked about the the prison of being an action star. I'll play a little snippet of that just to, as a refresher first. What is the downside of being you? Now, you're a Superman. You look like a god out there. I mean, look at this character up there. You, you must look at that guy and say, I can't believe that's even me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we all know the upside. What's the downside? Well, I mean, you know, the truth is that that really isn't me in a sense. I, I'm basically a thin person. I mean, that I put on 20 pounds to do this film. I'm not that big right now. So I, I wish I was. So I have something to aspire towards. But the downside of being me is, well, I, I feel as though I... I am kind of like this this conduit for for rumors and gossip and this and that and 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 also a downside is that I never really know what people's true feelings are to me. I can see like for example the way people respond to me during cliffhanger now then they they responded to me say during oscar there there is definitely a uh, my appeal is governed by box office success the box office success right. And I remember we talked about that and we both like, yeah, it's pretty sad, kind of heartbreaking. And that was 93. Now, this movie was 97 and obviously the press tour is done as the movie is coming out. Mm. And so we hear him talking again along similar lines and we know what he doesn't know, which is that this film doesn't light up the box office, which is his only currency as, you know, as he's mentioned. Yeah. So it's kind of heartbreaking. I'll play this clip. Watching Stallone play a real character and not some superhero has many of his critical enemies singing his praises. Good reviews for a Stallone picture. It's been a long time coming. I think it's perhaps it's maybe the way they originally discovered me was doing ensemble work and perhaps playing a character that was not Teflon, not... Uh, endowed with super abilities and that with super abilities also comes a kind of narcissism which I think after years and years of years of going to that same well proved to be a bit repetitious and grating. Do you think you stayed too long in action films? Oh my God. <laughs> was yes. it the money that did it? Was the money that seduced you? Very much so. Also I think there's a kind of uh, what happens I mean is that when you do two or three of them even four of them that are very successful the die has been cast. Serious directors will no longer take that chance and put you into a serious film. So what happened to me was kind of a, a phenomenon that I literally changed careers in midstream. So at the end there, he's talking about like he, he feels like he just changed careers midstream, which I think he's talking about this movie. Yeah. But that career change didn't really happen. That's it right. sucks. Because he goes on <laughs> to so say good. in subsequent, once he obviously wants the performance of this film or box office results marinated, he was like, well, the whole yeah. thing was I thought I was, yeah, taking this quantum step out of my yeah. bad, you know, bad spell. Um, he goes, but in fact I just sort of, it didn't help. But I'm like, oh. It sucks. It's such a bummer. I wonder if now, I wonder if now like further hindsight is like 
I don't know, did it play a more positive part than in the bigger picture? It's fascinating because before you hear him talk about it, you just kind of assume he's happy churning out Rambo movies. And don't get me wrong, Rambo movies have value. They have a role, but obviously there are different kinds of movies too, which I just thought he wasn't that interested in. But he obviously is, and he just doesn't doesn't really get the opportunity to do them. Creed was probably the the closest he's had since. Yep. He basically said, there was another clip uh, of an interview with him where he basically said between First Blood and Copland, he was basically more of an athlete than he was an actor. Mm. He was just like the, the role was get jacked and then, you know, run around that. and do shit. He certainly did that. He played his role in that. He does it well. I mean, I guess on the one hand we've got lots of action movies, which is awesome, but on the other hand, man, more, more. Art House Stallone, I would be fucking down with. I would be down. Yeah, he um, he's certainly the tortured artist, isn't he? Yeah, it's just fallen into this thing. But I'm like, dude, be happy. You are Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking, he doesn't even talk. We always take the piss out of how the way The Rock talks about movies. You know, like he's he's just. CEO of Rock Industries, like he's yeah. not so much an artist. And you hear someone who is on the surface unashamedly an action star and when you hear him talk about movies, he talks about it with so much more passion and artistry. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's funny. You would expect almost the opposite. Not our sly. <sighs> I love Stallone. Doesn't he paint? Does he paint? Yeah, he paints as well. We talked about that on the, um, yeah. on the cliffhanger. Up. I was watching interviews with... Um, Ray Liotta as well and like a lot of, I mean, I guess you can't blame him, but a lot of interviewers ask questions like, were you surprised by uh, Stallone's acting ability? And he's like, no, I wasn't surprised. He's a great actor. I think yeah. he just has never been given, hasn't been given enough of these opportunities, yada, yada, yada. So he he passed the vibe check with all that stuff. Um, uh-huh. And he was great in this movie. What did you, what did you think? Yeah, I love Liotta in this. Um, yeah. So good. Played it well. Yeah, I kept forgetting who the real bad, bad guys were. And so I could never, I was, obviously I'd seen the movie, but I was never quite sure if it was going to come through or not. Well, I used to get confused. This reminded me of this film. I used to get confused between um, T-1000 and Ray Liotta quite a bit. No way. Yeah. Really? When I was young. Interesting. um, I thought T-1000 was Ray Liotta. And then in this film, like, oh. Yeah, it's interesting. He's um as you know obviously R.I.P. passed away recently, and since he passed away, in seeing clips here and there, Goodfellas and then this, I kept thinking of like who who would be the who would play those roles now, and I think there's a there's definitely a Venn diagram, and there's an overlap with a DiCaprio. Oh uh, yeah, like you could kind of see DiCaprio playing this role, yeah. or you could see DiCaprio playing Henry Hill. There's there's a vibe there somewhere. Almost even in the the way they articulate their enunciation. Yeah, that's there's something astute. there. Wow, is that astute? There is. Astute on your part. My whole life, I wanted to be a gangster. You could imagine both either of them saying that. <laughs> Fully. Being right's not a bulletproof vest, Freddie. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Scorsese has made drawn the same parallels. Yeah, he just decided I've got my new Liotta. Yeah, I always thought it was weird that. Because obviously Scorsese's got a crew. I just thought it was weird that he didn't show up in more Scorsese joints. He didn't, right? Like, there's no more. 
Yeah, I don't know. And then the fact that he got someone that is so similar, <laughs> it's fascinating. With a slightly shinier face. <laughs> yeah, and a smaller smile. It's He's, he's a weird-looking guy but uh, such an interesting-looking guy. It works. It works. I think he's um, – I know it's not easy because he's got a few posthumous releases coming out, but um, the last thing I saw him in was The Many Saints of Newark, which mm. I thought he was fabulous in. He was so good. And, you know, he's, it was almost it, the, the performance itself. He evolved was, into a real monster. Yeah. Like he, I was saying to you, he looked like Michael Myers. I mean, he was in the prison yeah. onesie sort of thing for one, but he was just giant, like his neck. It's like he'd been doing neck yeah. roids. Exclusively for his neck, like he looked like a big hard ass that would kill you pretty easily with his bare hands, which is the yeah. which is who he yeah. played. Well, one of the two he played. Yeah. So it was like a nice farewell, perhaps, albeit too soon. Yeah. Hey, I noticed on one of the clips I think that you shared or I saw at least last week one of just his funny interviews because he's pretty funny in interviews. Yeah. Uh, he was wearing Aaron Williams. Shout out to the Aussie bootmaker. Oh yeah. Was that the same clip where he said um, uh, Clint Eastwood was overrated? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was. I was watching that clip this week too because it went around and it was on one of those Bravo gossipy shows or whatever. And it's this game they play where it's uh, you can plead the fifth on one question, but you have to answer the rest truthfully or whatever. And he didn't. He just answered them all truthfully. <laughs> and one of them was, "Who was the most overrated actor of the '80s?" And like almost without hesitation, he's like, "Ah, oh, Clint Eastwood." <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, "Oh, yeah." It's like, "What? What do you want?" <laughs> it's great. <laughs> oh, bless! What a guy. <laughs> oh, and then he had to they because he was on there with J Lo for whatever reason. And the other question was, name your favorite J Lo song. The J Lo song you like the most, and the J Lo song you hate the most. And he's like. I don't know any of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, and he didn't know. He didn't know any. Uh, uh, it was great. She did it well. He's got. I'm um, just looking at his filmography. So Many Saints came out last year. He's got one, mm. two, three, four, four. He's got six posthumous films coming out. Fuck. Now I don't know how big his roles are in all these, but and one's already Shit, come maybe out. Maybe he knew. It was a bit. Maybe it doesn't have a like. You can't click on it. There's no link in wiki. But um, yeah, okay. But you know, regardless, that's a that's a bit of work, maybe too much. Yeah, I wonder if he knew. I I've been a bit light on the details on his passing. Was there? What was? Yeah, I don't know no. yet. I thought he had a heart attack or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. I wonder if he had a vibe like he just wanted. Just, I don't know because that seems more than he usually creates. That's a lot of movies yeah. to come out. Yeah. Agreed. Interesting. Like yeah. from two thousand two thousand sixteen, he was in two things. Then two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty. So he had a bit of a lull. So maybe I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm sure in in due course we will learn more. Mm. But you're right. For now, light on the deets. Mm. Um, should we get into the verdict, Greg? Yeah. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Huh? Say what again? Say 
What again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. You got a thought on this? You got a summary? You got a... Uh, less of a summary, more of just a headline of where this sits for me. Yeah. Which is, I was sitting there thinking this might be, well, first I was thinking this might be top five for me. And then I realized, I think at this point I've got like eight movies in my top five. Big call. Yeah. I know it's definitely a big call, but maybe it was just more of a, it's too soon to say. And maybe it was more just the unexpected delight of it. I was just so like, fuck, this is better than I remembered. I guess that's probably something I should highlight. Maybe I didn't say it was better than I remembered. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. I was a little bit like, oh, maybe maybe it's not that good. Like maybe I just thought it was good then because I was an idiot. Um, but I was like so pleasantly surprised to the point where I was like, fuck, I wish Ara watched this because this is a good movie. I want to share this with her. I'm going to yeah. make her watch it at some point. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was fascinating because I never really, again, like I said, I didn't really know much uh, Mangold's filmography. I just kind of been a blind spot. And the fact that he did this and articulated it as an urban Western and then he obviously made 310 to Yuma, which is a Western. Uh-huh. And then he made Logan, which everyone calls like it's a Western with a superhero in it basically. Mm. I think there's something – I might watch that as a trilogy. I might go watch 310 and, and Logan oh, yeah. uh, in, 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 in in proximity to each other. Have you seen maybe. Ford vs Ferrari? I have not. I heard it's good. I watched it recently. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I highly yeah, recommend it. I was a bit too. reluctant to watch it, but I loved it. It doesn't sound appealing on the surface, right? But then I keep hearing how good it is. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Gregory? Um, yeah, man. I, I enjoyed it. It was um, – yeah, as I say, it was a bit convoluted, but, um, you know, it was a neo-noir – Neo noir oh, yeah. vibes through it, so you know, you know, I'm going to love yeah. it. Something I hadn't touched on to date: um, the music. Oh yeah, love the music. Um, it's just yeah. consistently there through the whole film, mm. which just creates this kind of tense and unsettled sort of feeling. You know, I love the music. It was <clears throat> the guy that did it, Howard Shaw, who is kind of one of the the main men of, of Hollywood scores. He's done a heap of things mm. um, but won um, awards for The Lord of the Rings. So he's the ringman. Oh, he's the ringman. Uh, he's also um, partnered with Danny, David Cronenberg in a heap of stuff, so History of Violence, Eastern oh, Promises, yeah. Uh, yeah. Scorsese with The Aviator uh, he, he, and heaps of stuff through the 80s as well um, and 90s. Mm. Like He's done heaps. So big nice. chops for the – Soundtrack. Yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it, man. Let's and Carol it. liked it as well. She came in a bit late and had no idea what was going on, but she just liked the vibe. <laughs> the vibe was strong, man. Yeah. Um, real quickly, did Simpsons do it? I don't think so. Porn parody? No. Bechdel test? No. Surprisingly. <laughs> FX test? I mean, I guess there was shootings. Um, I do have a couple of recasts. I'll power through them real quick because I think they're worth it. At recasting Freddie i.e. Stallone, I throw in Kevin James, Ooh. half jokingly, but I also think he's got it in him. I think he's got it in him. I had a boring well, – I had John Cusack. Yours is better. Oh, that's good too. That's good too. Um, William Fickner as anyone. Yeah. DiCaprio as Ray Liotta. Yeah, that's good. And Eddie Furlong as Robert Patrick's role. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I had um, Ben Mendelsohn as someone. Oh, Yeah. Fuck yeah. So we can add oh. them in. Very on your part. Uh, uh. Wow. Dewey. 
All of them. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. There we go. We could have combined our forces there. Yeah. Who, who's your MVP? Oh, I'll give it to Stallone. Yeah, same. It might be his best. Like, yeah. it's pretty significant. Low-key Rappaport. Oh, yeah, he's good at I like young Rappaport. I didn't, I didn't go into it. In this. I'm not his biggest fan these days. He's a pain I, of the ass now. He's yeah. not a very nice man. He's so angry at everything. Yeah. He yells at 20-year-old basketball players for missing a shot. Like, I'm like, mate, they're yeah, a 20-year-old weird. basketball player. Like, you're a 50-year-old man abusing him. Like, chill. <laughs> it's so weird. It's really uh, weird. Anyway... Greg's got a soccer game to get to. Oh, I've, I've got, got to get some dinner Tal to took eat. Him to the photo. I've got to get him to the soccer photos, which are in a different place. Ah, uh, oh, oh. Well, we've got a big, great mini series coming from next week. Lat pack, past and present. We're very excited about this. Oh, and yes. We'll see you then. Until we'll then, leave a review. Follow us on Instagram, on the Facebook, and such. And uh, take care of yourselves and each other. From you. Yeah. Oh, my voice. Bye. Bye.